0: Welcome to the Leadership Now podcast with Dr. Aaron Rock. Aaron has served as a pastor, a professor, and a chaplain, and he has a keen interest in helping other Christians think Christianly about all of life. On this show, we talk about the nuts and bolts of theology, church life, cultural issues, pastoral leadership, ethics, and other relevant matters that will help you lead better now. I'm your host, Chris Yielman, and today's title is, Is Same-Sex Attraction a sin. To kind of lay this out, the Bible clearly forbids homosexual sexual relations in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9 and 1 Timothy 1 verse 10. And so in this show, we're not going to debate that at all. Uh, But what we do want to ask is, what about the person who is attracted to the same sex, but does not act on it? Increasingly, there are Christians that claim that a person can be same sex attracted and yet honor Christ by abstaining from homosexual relations. And so we want to think through that issue today. So Aaron, before we get into that and respond directly to the question at hand, why is this such a sensitive and important topic to discuss?
1: Well, as ministers of the gospel, we want to begin by acknowledging that human sin runs very deep and we're all capable of any sin that any other human being has committed through human history. It doesn't mean that we're all going to be tempted with the same slate of sins. There are certain sins that people will commit in their lives that others won't commit. There are certain temptations people will succumb to that others won't succumb to. But we do need to approach this with a measure of humility, acknowledging that we all have sinned, we all do sin, we all are in desperate need of redemption. And if we've been born again by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have an incredible opportunity to live large for Christ. So I just want to acknowledge that right out front. Um, We acknowledge that some people have unique temptations, and there are are people in our world that have unique temptations to to a variety of sins, including homosexuality. That might be because of past involvement in a homosexual lifestyle before coming to faith in Jesus Christ, or early sexual abuse, or issues pertaining to families of origin. So we're not here to highlight homosexuality uh, over and above uh, every other sin. We're not trying to shine a flashlight exclusively on homosexuality, but I thought this would be an important topic for us to discuss because it's constantly in our face. People are constantly talking about issues pertaining to the gay lifestyle, the lesbian lifestyle, the LGBTQ stuff. More and more people appear to be publicly, shamelessly practicing this lifestyle And even in the Christian church, we, it seems to me, have tended to adopt some of the slippery language of the world. So you'll hear Christians talking about the legitimacy of a sexual orientation or gender identity, or as we're going to talk about specifically today, same-sex attraction. And these terms are admittedly difficult to define sometimes because they're not biblical terms. They're not set within the context of God's eternal word. They're terms that we've made up to try to describe things that we believe or don't believe in. So there's some confusion floating around out there. I think that uh, most Christian people, uh, well, I'll just say all Christian people who are true Christians, they want to overcome sin and they they want to live for Christ. To not want to live for Christ is to, by definition, not be a Christian so Christians want to live for Christ, but they're often receiving messages like, you know, it's it's okay to be attracted to another man if you're a man, or another woman if you're a woman, as long as you don't act on it. So we want to talk about that and and just put some biblical uh, per- parameters on on these uh, these subjects. I don't wanna come across as a jerk. We, we do wanna be compassionate. Most Christians also wanna be compassionate. They Again, they wanna avoid sexual sin. They wanna help other people to avoid sexual sin. But there might be a little bit of a temptation in here too for us to soft pedal or create new language because we're uncomfortable with biblical language or we wanna be perceived as being extra understanding. And I wanna head that um, off at the pass. Chris, I also have noticed, and I'm, I'm sure you have as well, that we do have Christian laypeople and Chris, Christian clergy, pastors, elders, bishops, overseers of churches, telling people that it's okay to be same-sex attracted and Christian at the same time, as long as you don't act on it. So we'll hear people say things like, well, I'm, I'm gay, but I'm celibate. Okay, well, we need to digest that. Is that even possible? It sounds appealing because it sort of acknowledges a psychological element to our sexuality without endorsing an overtly sinful behavior, but is it the way we're supposed to speak to these issues? I've also had this particular topic come up in three or four conversations with people recently, and so I thought it would be a timely topic for us to discuss on today's uh, episode. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much so. So to start us off, um, many people would say same-sex attraction is different than same-sex behavior. So is that true? Is that false? How would you unpack
1: that? Well, it's really important for us to define our terms because people may have different views on what same-sex attraction is because, again, it's not, it's not biblical language. It's essentially made-up language. So we need to define terms to make sure we're talking about the same thing. So one of the biggest problems with these kinds of issues is we do create language at times to try to capture a thought or an idea, and it can actually obscure our understanding of Scripture. It may be difficult to figure out what the person actually means when they say you can be same-sex attracted. It is more of a psychological term. Now, we would all acknowledge as Orthodox Christians that same-sex behavior is homosexuality, and that's wrong. As you mentioned in a couple scripture passages Mm -hmm. you you, uh, referenced earlier on, homosexual sex, homosexual behavior is sinful, period. That's not the topic of today's conversation. But what about the person, let's say a man, who is sexually attracted to another man? There's nothing wrong with a man being attracted if you will although we don't typically use that word to having meaningful relationships with other men so a couple of guys want to get together and watch the hockey game they want to go out for wings they like hanging out they like talking theology it's it's that's completely fair even for married people so if a married woman has you know a bunch of uh, girlfriends that she has appropriate relationships with and they encourage each other and pray together and hang out together and cycle together or whatever, that, that's totally fine. That's not what we're talking about. Same sex attraction is not about same sex relationships. It's about a sexual dimension to, mm-hmm. to that relationship. So the question is, is it appropriate? Is it a sin for a person to be sexually attracted to a member of the same sex? I really believe that we need to dispense with this terminology, because it does seem to me to be an attempt to understand the psychology behind homosexuality, perhaps in order to better understand and sympathize with human weaknesses. But in doing so, by creating a new concept, new language, new categories, it it becomes very confusing. We're talking about, we're literally talking about different issues then the Bible concerns it, concerns itself with. So when we talk about human sexuality, the Bible concerns itself with things like God's creational design for human sexuality. Mm-hmm. It talks about evil desires. It talks about temptation. This is key for us to understand what temptation and evil desires are. And, of course, it talks about sinful behavior. So whether a person is engaging in lying or thievery or covetousness or adultery or homosexuality. You know, the Bible forbids those things. So well, let's let's propose for a moment a, a bit of a working definition. So when I hear people talk about same-sex attraction, and, and you, you can help me with this too if you'd like, but I think what they mean by that is that we all face temptations, and that's usually understood as a desire. Mm-hmm. So we face temptations, we, fa- we face a desire to sin, but it's only a sin when we act on it. Thus, same-sex attraction. Attraction being sort of an equivalent to a desire. Mm-hmm. People say, okay, we, we face a desire, an attraction, but it's only a sin if we kind of go for it. And so the logic would be then that since same-sex uh, attraction is a temptation and not a sin it's not a sin to be same-sex attracted, to desire it, but not to act on it. Mm-hmm. I think that's how, not all, but many would use that language. So recently, somebody communicated to me that a friend of theirs said, I'm I'm a gay Christian. I, I don't practice homosexuality, but I'm a gay Christian, meaning I'm, I'm attracted to other men. Mm-hmm. Right, does that make sense? Yeah,
0: it does make sense. And I think, uh, yeah, that, that connects the two thoughts um, them saying temptation and desire similar because it wouldn't be if you had no desire for something it wouldn't be tempting
1: sure so if i have a desire to go um go to a baseball game with a buddy of mine there's nothing sexual about that could i could someone say oh you're attracted to men well, what do you mean by that I, do i like having guy friends yeah But is there anything sexual about that? No. So innate to same-sex attraction is implicitly a certain desire or inclination for something sexual about that relationship. Mm -hmm. So let's approach this from a few angles. So first of all, the Bible is very clear that we all face temptations. But what, what are temptations? Sometimes we assume that temptation is the desire to sin itself. But actually, temptations are the tests, the trials that are external to us, that are presented to us. And those tests, those trials, only become sinful, not just when we act on it, but when we desire it. And I'm going to show you some biblical evidence in this Mm -hmm. regard. So it's really important for us to understand that temptation is not just, oh, I'm going to... Act on my homosexual urges, and for a man to have sex with a man or a woman to have sex with a woman, but the desire for that is an evil desire, and that is to go beyond temptation itself. So same sex attraction then is is not just uh, an, an attraction to uh, you know consider it, but it's actually the desire itself that is mm-hmm. that is sinful. So first of all, we, we would agree that. An external temptation, a test, a trial, does not equal sin if properly understood. But again, what's a temptation? Well, it's an enticement to sin external to us. Remember, Jesus was tempted in the um, uh, wilderness episode where Satan took him out and he, he tempted him, but Jesus didn't sin. And in Hebrews, we're told he was tempted in every way that we were. But those were temptations from without, not from within. This is really important. Those were temptations from without, not from within. So temptation is sin when it involves a desire, a yearning for, or to use their language as I understand it, an attraction towards a sinful behavior. This is where, this is what the scripture says. In James chapter 1, verse 13, it says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. Now listen to this. For God cannot be tempted with evil. So this is, let me just pause there and say, this clearly is a different kind of temptation, if you will, than what Hebrews refers to. And it says Jesus is tempted in every way as we were, or Jesus in the wilderness with the serpent. Those were tests or trials external to himself. But what James is speaking about here is that God cannot be tempted in the way that we are, in that when our temptation often involves an evil desire, and that evil desire in and of itself is sinful. So it goes on to say, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But listen, but each person is tempted, meaning tempted in a way that God isn't, when he is lured and enticed by his own desire, which means craving. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives, uh, brings forth death. So in this context, an internal fleshly desire to participate in an external temptation is in and of itself sinful. So the, the sinful desire is as sinful as the sinful action. So for mm-hmm. a person, if a man desires to have sex with another man, or a woman desires to have sex with another woman. That is, that is a sin in and of itself. So it's not just, well, I've, I'm actually having sex. No, the desire to do that is what the Bible calls an evil desire. And in that respect, it's the kind of temptation that God does not participate in. So Jesus was never tempted to actually sin internally. But he was presented with a temptation that we would describe as a test of or or a trial so if a person says i was presented with an opportunity to commit a homosexual act but i did not desire it and i obeyed god fine they haven't sinned and you're not a homosexual so you don't say i was presented with an opportunity to sin but i did not desire it and i didn't act on it but i'm a gay christian no you're not you're only a gay christian if you want to use that language and the word gay, again, is made up. But if you want to use that language, I'm a homosexual Christian. No, you're only a homosexual Christian if you have participated in the evil desire and or participated in the evil act. So it's kind of like saying to someone, you know, I'm a, I'm a stealing Christian. Well, have you ever stole anything? No. Okay, do you, do you go around desiring to steal things? No. <laughs> you're not a stealing Christian. But if I say, well, I don't steal things, but I desire and long for it all the time, I desire to steal things, that's a sin. That's not the kind of temptation that Jesus experienced in the wilderness. That's acting upon the external opportunity to succumb to the flesh. So again, we're not suggesting that a person who's been presented with the opportunity, a test, a trial, to engage in a homosexual act has sinned, but a person who desires that, a man that desires to take another man to bed, a woman that desires to take another woman to bed, that is a sin. Mm -hmm. And therefore, if that's what you mean by same-sex attraction, then yes, same-sex attraction is, in fact, sinful. And just like any other sin, we need to denounce it and repent of it.
0: Mm-hmm. So would it be fair to say when Jesus was tempted, that you say the, the temptation was external, so it's like the thought came to his mind, this is an option, but then Jesus did not
1: desire it and so did not follow through on it? Would no, with, our, with with the Lord Jesus Christ, he wouldn't even have considered it because he's without sin completely. But Satan is presenting, he's, he's throwing his cards down on the table, says, you want to pick them up? Jesus is like, no. Right. But there would have been no thought process, like consideration in the perfect God-man to even, um, I I guess, consider the opportunity to sin. In in our human minds, of course, uh, there's probably a little element there that's different in that. We're, we're presented with a test or a trial and there's a cognitive awareness of it and you're processing it, but you repudiate that. I wanna talk right. a little in yeah. a little bit about the power of the mind yeah. over desires. And the mind of course is empowered to overcome desires when it's filled with the truth of, of God's word.
0: Okay, cool. Okay, so maybe let's unpack the idea of attraction a bit more so
1: that, that makes a bit more sense. Sure. So in God's creational design, this is really important. It's natural. This is what the Bible calls it. It's natural for a man to be sexually attracted to the opposite sex. It's natural for a woman to be sexually attracted to the opposite sex. That's natural. So if you think of adultery, for example, and I say this without nuance, there needs to be some more nuances to it. Adultery, for example, is the right act in the wrong context, but homosexuality is both the wrong act and the wrong context. Mm -hmm. Now, that's not to say that it's appropriate to want to have sex with multiple people, but in the word of God, there's a contrast between natural relationships and homosexual relationships. In Romans chapter one, verse 26 and 27, there's that contrast there where it talks about women exchanging natural relations for those that are contrary to nature or men likewise giving up natural relations with women. So heterosexuality is in that respect natural. Therefore, it is natural for a man to desire to be married and part of that marital covenant is to desire to have sex with a woman Mm -hmm. and vice versa. So we don't want Christians to think that somehow it's yucky if a young man wants to be married, and part of his rationale for being married is, I want to have sex, that's fine. That doesn't mean you can just go around and want to have sex with everybody, or set your eyes lustfully upon people, or think you know, about intercourse with your wife before you're married. Those are sinful thoughts. But context matters. And God has designed men with a natural drive to want to have sex with women. And when I say women, I don't mean multiple women. I'm just speaking in generalities. And for women to want to have sex with men or for a woman to want to have sex with a man. And so, opposite sex attraction in that respect is not immoral. There's nothing innately immoral about heterosexual desire, but there is something innately immoral about homosexual desire. Not only is the act sinful, but the desire is sinful because it's contrary to nature. So when we think about attraction, and again, this is where this word is a little bit slippery and hard to nail down. Do you mean in the enjoyment of someone's co- company of the same sex? Okay, if that's what you mean by it, again, no problem. Do you mean like a, a certain, a, a love and appreciation f- between a man and a man like David and Jonathan had? If that's what you mean, that's that's fine. Like I, I love my, brothers, I love my sons. I love you as a brother in Christ. I have an affection for other men. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. But that's completely different than having sexual thoughts between two men or two women or desiring to participate, for example, in sodomite sex, to fantasize over that. That is sinful in and of itself. Whether or not you act on it, it's sinful in and of itself. So a man might be lured uh into another into a relationship with another man and in that process he knows there's a prospect of gay sex involved well to, to participate in that kind of a relationship is to succumb to temptation and to give in to evil desires and he should avoid that relationship james says in james uh, 1 15 i'll just read it again then desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin now we're going to see in a moment that the desire itself we don't want to we don't This isn't like a linear process where there's the desire and then later on there's the sin. In this context, he's trying to help us to understand temptation as a whole, the kind of temptation that God does not commit. So we have the desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin. In other words, there's a sequence to it. There's a sequence to it, just like there's a conception, a gestational process, a birth process to a child. But all of that is part of growing a child. And the desire in and of itself is a sin so where does same-sex attraction come from well if you think about it all externalized sin whenever we so when a person let's say were to participate in a homosexual act Mm -hmm. that externalized act first comes from an internalized sin so there's always an internalized sin before there's an externalized sin sometimes we just think well it's the external sin that's the sin but the internal processes of thinking on it, fantasizing about it, desiring it, oh, that's not a sin. Well, yes, it is a sin mm-hmm. because uh, James goes on to say, um, actually, this is sorry, this is Romans 1. They were, cons- speaking of men, they were consumed with passion for one another. So that's the starting point. They were consumed with passion, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. So Chris, this is critical. Passions come from the mind, not the genitals. Now I understand there's a hormonal dimension to this and there's a physiological sexuality to our, to our makeup, our constitution as human beings. But people have this, you know. sometimes, and I don't wanna be crass, but sometimes people say to guys, you know, if you wanna be sexually pure, keep it in your pants. It's almost like it's your genitals that are at fault. Well, actually you need to surrender your mind to Christ. You need to have a renew renewing of your mind it's not your genitals that lead you into sin it's your mind and it's your mind then that has control over your desires so for example in romans 1 28, in order for a man to want to have sex with another man he has to have believed a lie how do we know that well it says there and since they did not see fit to acknowledge god that's comprehensive of god's lordship the word of god the principles and purposes of God, his creational design, the whole package. So since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind. You see, the further you are removed from God, the literally the stupider you get. Mm-hmm. This is why we see so much crazy nonsense in our culture. People are literally making up new supposed truth categories, new identities. It's just the people have absolutely gone nuts. And part of that is because they've wandered away from God, and part of that is God's judgment on sin. So God gives them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. So by failing to acknowledge God's laws over our sexuality, what happens? Our minds are debased. They're debased. And then sinful passions erupt. And those sinful passions lead to sinful actions. So, if you back up the train, if you want to restrain sinful actions, you have to deal with sinful desires. And if you want to deal with sinful desires, you have to renew your mind. Mm -hmm. See? So, a person can't say, well, I I have these in my mind, I'm attracted to men and I'm a man, or I'm a woman, I'm attracted to other women, but that's okay as long as I'm not acting on it. No, that in and of itself is tipping you off. There's sin in you, and that needs to be addressed. And if you don't address those lies, those improper thoughts, quickly, they will develop into passions, which are also sinful, which are going to be very difficult to restrain in in the realm of actual sexual activity. So in Romans 12, 2, it says, do not be conformed to this world. Well, how do I do that? It doesn't say, but keep it in your pants. It says, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So here's how I want to summarize this. Certain desires are natural and certain desires are sinful. Certain attractions, if you will, are natural. It's natural for a man to be attracted to a woman. It is not natural for a man to be attracted to a man. It is not natural for a woman to be attracted to a woman in that sexual way to desire heterosexual sex within context within marriage isn't mm-hmm. sinful mm-hmm. to desire homosexual sex in any context is sinful now when, when we talk about these things, because the world talks so much about homosexuality over time, it's like, eh, whatever. I know some homosexuals, not so bad. You sort of get used to it. So sometimes you have to use a little bit more harsh language or take people to sins that aren't yet really culturally acceptable, mm-hmm. except maybe in niche pop portions of the population, to help people to see the hypocrisy in justifying same-sex attraction mm-hmm. or evil the desires for homosexuality. So let's just do this. What if I were to say, well, um, I'm a man and I desire to have sex with animals. I don't act on it, but I desire it. Mm -hmm. Or I'm a woman and I don't act on it, but I desire to have sex with children. Now these are incredibly gross things to even think about, but it's important for us to talk about them. We would say that desire in and of itself is a sin. It's, mm-hmm. It seems so, so obvious, like there's something not right, not natural mm-hmm. about a human being wanting to have sexual intercourse with a beast mm-hmm. or an adult wanting to have sex with a child. It's, it's unnatural, we, we, we naturally are re- revolted by that. And, and yet somehow the historical understanding, especially in the Christianized West, that homosexuality was in that category has been cast aside and now we're more concerned about the psychology of the desire well folks don't 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 kid yourself if we if we spend our time thinking about the psychology of homosexuality the attraction and trying to justify that in any way shape or form that same concept will be applied to bestiality and pedophilia and it already probably is on mm-hmm. some level Well, I was just born that way. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, so what? That's a sin, and it needs to be uh, surrendered to God. So it's really important for us to understand the Bible doesn't just forbid certain actions, but it forbids certain desires. Jesus said in Matthew 15, 19, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, Theft, false witness slander. So we not only need to avoid sexual immorality, but also evil thoughts. Those are those are bad. That's why they're called evil thoughts. Mm-hmm. Thoughts aren't morally inert. The thought, the thought of a man having sex with another man is an evil thing. That attraction, that desire, if you will, is evil. So, Colossians 3.5 says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And then it lists sexual immorality, which would include everything. Pornonia, pornography, it would include bestiality, uh, fornication, adultery, homosexuality. But then it says impurity, passion, evil desire, Mm -hmm. covetousness. By the way, covetousness is completely internal. Theft. Is sort of the external manifestation of it, or materialism. But would you feel comfortable? S- someone comes to you as a past, as your, their pastor, and says, "You know, I have a problem with coveting. What do you mean by that? I just, I just want everybody else's stuff." Oh, so you have material attraction, materialistic attraction. Yeah, that's fine. No, we would say that's a sin.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: The, there's attitudinal sins. Pride is kind of an attitudinal sin, and it's wrong. Covetousness is an attitudinal sin, and it's wrong. Uh, bitterness is an attitudinal sin, and it's wrong. And then there's other sins that are more external, gossip, slander, murder, theft. But we understand in these other categories that there's internal sins and there's external sins. And I want to help people to understand that in, in the Word of God, to desire for a man to desire to have sex with another man is a sin. Just like it's a sin for a man to desire to have sex with a woman that's not his wife. But the problem there is not the action, it's the context. Mm -hmm. So right action, wrong context. The desire for a man to have sex with another man is sin period. You can call it attraction if you'd like, but it's a sin. On the other hand, again, there's nothing wrong with a meaningful non-sexual relationship with, um, you know, two men or two women. Yeah. So temptation, just to be
0: crystal clear, temptation isn't a sin but you're saying desire can be just as much sin as the action is right yeah well
1: there's in the word of god we have almost like two forms of temptation if you will so there's temptation meaning a test a trial that's external to yourself this is what our lord experienced it was not connected with an evil desire therefore we can say as james says that god doesn't isn't tempted so jesus wasn't tempted so we're told if we're tempted okay that in and of itself if we mean by it we're tempted so there's a test a trial that's put in front of us that we immediately repudiate Mm -hmm. push away then so let's say for to help our listeners understand let's say there's a guy and he's driving his car down the street in the middle of july and there's a scantily clad woman that walks by him Mm -hmm. and His head happens to look to the left, and he didn't know she's there, and she's there. So there's a scantily clad woman. There is your test. There's your trial. And when you turn away and you choose not to think about that, that's temptation, but that's not sin. Mm -hmm. But if you look over and you start eyeing up her body and desiring it, you can't say, well, I, did, I didn't actually touch her. I didn't actually ask her out. I didn't go to bed with her, so it's not a sin. No, that desire in and of itself is a sin. Mm-hmm. So with our, for the purpose of our conversation, if a man who has for whatever reason because of sexual abuse or past lifestyle has participated in homosexuality or has a propensity toward it and he's repented of it, he's living for Christ, and suddenly he's talking to some guy in the foyer at church, and there is an opportunity. Maybe he, something said, some story is told. There, he realized there's, this, there's an opportunity for me to have a sexual relationship with this man. And he immediately turns away and doesn't think about that, doesn't think sexual thoughts about that person. That's temptation that he's overcome.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But if he starts th- being attracted to this person, he desires this person's company, he's hoping that there's opportunities for sexual intimacy, that is a sin. Mm-hmm. So what's weird about this is if you if you don't act on the sin or the sinful desires, what are you doing going around calling yourself a gay Christian? Mm-hmm. It's like saying I'm a thieving Christian, I've never stole anything. Or I'm an adulterous Christian, but I actually don't have adulterous thoughts. Like. It's it's bad language, and what it unfortunately does is it ultimately it, it it takes homosexuality and focuses on the psychology of it rather than helping us to understand the theology behind it, the, the proper understanding of sinful desires, proper understanding of temptation. So we can put it th- to people this way: it it would be accurate, or, or, or maybe I'll ask in the form of a question: if you say. I'm comfortable calling myself a same-sex attracted Christian, but actually the word of God says that the attraction is an evil desire. Would you have? Would you feel comfortable calling yourself an evil desires Christian? I'm an evil desires Christian. I have evil desires all the time, but I don't act on them. I don't think you would mm-hmm. because you'd understand that they're wrong. But when we soften the language, same sex, let's just toss that out the door. We're talking about homosexuality. Let's not soften it. We're talking about homosexuality attraction. What are we talking about? A trial? That kind of temptation? I don't think so. It's a desire. And if it's a a desire, then it's a sin. And therefore, you're not same-sex attracted. You're an evil desires, Christian. And that needs to be repented. So this is why I think it's dangerous for people to say I'm same-sex attracted any more than to say I'm theft-attracted or I'm anger-attracted or I'm murder-attracted. You're not... Attracted to it, if you if you don't desire it, you can be tempted. But if you don't if you don't have that desire, if that desire doesn't crop up within you, you have nothing to repent of. But if that desire does crop up within you, then you do have something to mm. um, repent of. And again, the solution to this is the flesh is weak, so you have to overcome it by a renewed mind. And of course, we need the grace of God um, in our lives.
0: One other way I want to put it to you to just get your thoughts. So let's say somebody said, uh, I like cookies, uh, right. So by, I, I just enjoy cookies. Right. And then they repent, they realize cookies are sinful and somebody puts a cookie in front of them and they immediately turn away. They're like, I'm not going to think about it and they don't think about it. But deep, deep within them, they're like, but I still like cookies, but I'm not entertaining the thought. I'm I'm mortifying the thought, but or mortifying the I, I won't entertain the thought. But they're like, but I still like them.
1: Yeah, like you know what I mean. So here's what you, here's what you'd want to do. First of all, the analogy is not the greatest because cookies in and of themselves are not like immoral. Right. But, that's right. But let's say the cookies. I think what you're, where you're going with that is cookies represent homosexuality or a desire for that. Yeah. Some so,
0: people talk about it like an appetite, and sure. that's winner culture. So right. you have
1: to actually. Through the work of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God, you can get to a point that's no longer an appetite. It's no it's no longer an appetite. I do not desire it. Mm-hmm. And this is where people often have a low view of the power of the gospel. So we, you hear people going to AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, and they come out and they're like, yeah, I'm, I'm an alcoholic. Oh, really? When was the last time I, you had a drink? Oh, 30 years ago. Then you're not an alcoholic, dude. This is made up language, you're not an alcoholic if you're not <laughs> abusing alcohol. And secondly, you can get to a point where that is no longer a desire for you, you don't even desire it. Mm-hmm. Again, the reality is, if if you spend 30 years participating in and enjoying a sinful action, it might take a little while to weed that out of your system. So that's true. If someone was sexually, I know men that were sexually abused as children, or they're raised by the proverbial passive father and aggressive mother, or they just were never taught this stuff, or they had early exposure to male-only relationships, or whatever it might be, there's a whole bunch of, you know, horizontal reasons in in the natural order and in social circles why this happens. Then... You might need to kind of reboot your friend circles, um, redefine your relationships, put new boundaries in place. So I understand because we we all have our pet sins, so to speak, that we're attracted mm-hmm. to. But I I will never believe. So if I if I struggle with sin A or sin B, I will never believe that that is my lot in life to continue to struggle with that sin ad infinitum. I do not believe that, mm-hmm. and. More to our point, if I'm not even considering those things and I'm not acting upon those things, I'm not going to go around telling me I'm A, attracted or B, attracted. I'm not. Yeah, because it becomes an identity thing, right? Well, the the problem too is people's – you have to be so careful as a leader because when you create these new categories like same-sex attraction, I'm not saying that everyone believes this, but there are some that will start to use that to justify – a propensity they have as if it's natural and it's not natural Mm -hmm. the bible is very clear heterosexuality is natural homosexuality is not natural Mm -hmm. it's not natural and therefore we need to repudiate it Mm -hmm. right we need to repudiate it so
0: yeah and it just i think when you say that it just reminds me how deeply it's sinful we are like it's it's so deep, obviously. And that's why the transforming power of the Spirit has to go and transform the whole person. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Like I crucify the flesh,
1: right? Well, it's interesting if you look at some of the laws of the Bible, they're just very categorical. Thou shalt not murder. And you're not supposed to, look at the 10 commandments, don't make graven images, don't take God's name in vain. Like They're very hands-on or hands-off, depending Mm on how you want to put it. Things you should do, not do, say, not say. But then Jesus talks about the greatest commandment, loving the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. And it's like, was that at variance? Like over here, we seem to have these do this, do nots. And over here, it's almost like feel this, feel nots. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. But what Jesus is driving at is without the heart, without dealing with the internal dimension, you are messed up in terms of any real ability to overcome or live externally. And the problem with you know, externalizing Christianity without dealing with the heart issues is you create people that are legalists, but inside they're still rotten. Mm-hmm. Well, in some respects, that's what the same-sex attraction conversation actually contributes to, in that it allows people potentially to excuse the internal dynamics in their lives and simply think they're right with God because the external dynamics are are in place. So it's, it's almost, tr- it's trying to, it's trying to avoid the trap of being being thought of as, you know, unloving, uh, lacking mercy, lacking compassion. But strangely, it leads to the exact opposite, in that it can cause people to be comfortable with various desires or attractions, if you will, inside of them that they don't deal with. You know, as long as I'm not actually having sex with other men, I'm totally squared up with God. And that's not true. Mm-hmm. If we don't deal with the matters of the heart, um, we are destined to fail, and and that means we have to really have our minds transformed. We need to trace the lies, identify the lies, and allow God through His Holy Spirit to renew our minds with His Holy Word. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Okay. So there, there's obviously temptations, or uh, sorry, lessons here for every kind of temptation, sure. but. What would be some takeaway pieces of advice to someone who might be calling themselves same-sex attracted or who's tempted in this area?
1: Well, I would say just stop calling yourself same-sex attracted as if it's somehow your identity. It's not your identity. It's not who you are. If you're tempted, resist. And if you have an evil desire as a result of that temptation, repent of it. And then renew your mind. So renewing of your mind is clearly called upon in the word of God. Don't buy the lie that it's your destiny. You know, again, I, I, I was an alcoholic, so I'm always an alcoholic. I was an adulterer, so I'm always an adulterer. I was a womanizer, so I'm always a womanizer. I, I'm a homos- I was a homosexual, so I always am. It's always going to be a desire and attraction. No. The, the, I'll, I'll just share this quick story. When I hear about people saying, you know, once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic, I'd say, well, tell that to my maternal grandfather, because my maternal grandfather got saved in his mid-40s, and he was an absolute drunk, and upon his salvation, he abandoned the bottle and never looked back and never was tempted to it, because the power of God in his life was that transformative. He repudiated it, and he surrendered it. But that doesn't mean that every person repudiates and surrenders every sin in our lives immediately. Sanctification is progressive, but it's progressive; it's moving forward. Mm-hmm. So we're actually xing things off the list, so to speak. So there's things that I used to do, think, feel, or say that I don't do, feel, think, or say anymore. Yeah. So this is this is the beauty of the gospel. So we need to take this language and throw it in the circular file. And I, I would say that a lot of this responsibility rests on the shoulders of the of pastors because they're leading their flocks. So pastors need to stop referring to themselves this way. We have pastors out there saying, I'm same-sex attracted. Really? Would you feel comfortable if your pastor said, oh, by the way, I don't act on it, but I'm child-sex attracted? Or again, animal-sex attracted? would be like, okay, dude, like, yeah, we need to deal with this, this is, mm-hmm. this is absolutely wrong. So why is it that over time, over the last 30 years, as homosexuality has become mainstream, suddenly we're strangely okay, as if it's just the same as being heterosexual attracted, to be homosexual attracted? It's not right. So pastors need to be careful about uh, this kind of uh, language. And again, it's it's really important not to conflate same sex attraction with opposite sex attraction. It's not the same thing. People often conflate them. Well, you know, some there might be a guy that uh, longs to have sex with multiple women. So that's the same as a guy wanting to have sex with other men. No, it's not. A man who wants to have sex with multiple women is sinning. But it's the context. it's the fact there's multiple partners mm-hmm. that is the sin. It's not his natural desire to have sex with a female human being who's an adult. That desire in and of itself is not sinful. God created sex. Now it it can be sort of splitting hairs because our we're so perverse in our in our generation that it's difficult for people to sometimes, Apply, if you will, their heterosexual desires and inclinations strictly to one person for life. We acknowledge that. Mm-hmm. But what we don't want to do is make people think, well, it's the same when a guy wants to have sex with multiple women as when a guy wants to have sex with multiple men. No, it's not the same. One is the right act in the wrong context, one is the wrong act and the wrong context. Mm-hmm. The act in and of itself again, to use Roman's language, is unnatural. So they're not equals. So we, we must be careful not to legitimize the attraction, the desire. It's really important. We cannot legitimize the attraction or the desire or reduce the sin down merely to the sexual act. The attraction, if at all sexual, is sinful. It's sinful, period. Period. So it's important for people to identify the lies they believe. So if you've, and we're just speaking in generalities, so just in terms of helping people think through this, it applies to all temptation. If you think of temptation, so you're presented, there's a trial, there's a external opportunity, if you will, presented to you. And if your mind has been renewed by God, so let's say there's a, um, a, a, an external opportunity to rob a bank, which, you know, very few people do, but maybe some do. So there's an external opportunity to rob a bank. You walk into a bank, the door to the safe is wide open, no one's around, and there's a pile of money in there. So this is now a temptation. There's an external opportunity. Well, m- most people aren't even going to think about that because it's not part of the way they've been raised. They're not going to be like looking to the left, looking to the right. Maybe I should go for it start to think about the car I could buy, the you know, the new phone I could buy, the, the tractor I could buy, whatever. If you start thinking about how to spend that money and how you might get in, that is a sin in and of itself. You've succumbed to the temptation, that's an evil desire. So that is a sin. But one might think about this. Why, what lie would a person have to believe to run into the safe and steal the money? Well, it could be a variety of things um, that God won't provide, for example, or that it's okay for other people's possessions to just suddenly become mine or I don't have to work for my own bread or whatever it might be, right? So you identify the lie, and if you get those lies out of your mind, then when you walk into the bank and the safe's wide open, it's like, that's not even a a thing for me. Mm -hmm. I don't desire it because I haven't allowed a lie to settle into my mind that would draw me to stealing the money from that safe. So when it comes to sexuality and people are attracted to sexuality, what are the lies that people have allowed to settle into their mind that need to be renewed through the study of God's word. Well, there are multiple. That that we're, our primary functional life is, is to have sex, that could be one. Mm-hmm. That uh, conflating sex with uh, acceptance, that could be another one. That um, physical pleasure is the means of avoiding pain in life, that could be another one. There's all kinds of things that a person might become aware of. That's the root cause of the lie. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse four, it says, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. What are some of the strongholds that take place in a person's life? Well, same-sex attraction would be one, that's a stronghold. Adulterous desire, that's a stronghold. Lying, that's mm-hmm. a stronghold. So how do we how do we deal with those strongholds which are spiritual nature not just of the flesh? The Bible says, "We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion, notice, in the spiritual warfare that seeks to um uh in in the warfare that seeks to destroy our walk with God. God's solution is in a sense mental. It's rational. It's you need to fill your mind with truth. I'll just read on. We destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. So there you have it. If you, if you don't control your mind, you will not control your desires. And if you do not control your desires by controlling your mind, you won't control your actions. So if a person doesn't want to commit homosexual acts, they need to deal with the desires. And how do you deal with the desires? You take every thought captive in Christ. You fill your mind with the knowledge of God. You destroy arguments and any lofty opinion raised against God. Any That's a lie. Any lie, any opinion that's contrary to God's declarative word You wreck it. You destroy it. You chop it out of your life by filling your mind with God's truth. And the lie might be that this is my lot in life, that I'm I'm just same-sex attracted. That's who I am. Mm -hmm. That's a lie. That in and of itself is a lie. I want to hammer that one home. The the belief that you are doomed to be an alcoholic, doomed to be an angry man, doomed to to depression, doomed to homosexual attraction, that is a lie. It's from the pit of hell. It's contrary to the gospel. First Corinthians 10, 13, it says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So there you have it. You're not necessarily going to flee from it because there's going to be more temptations, trials, tests external to you that are put in the way. But God will provide a way, not for the lost. No, not for the lost, because they don't have the divine resources of God, mm-hmm. but for the believer. So what is God's solution to all sexual sin? I'll read 1 Corinthians 7 two. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. Okay, let me just be super simple. One of the solutions to same-sex attraction is to become a heterosexual. Now what I mean by that is to find a wife if you're a man or find a husband if you're a woman and dedicate yourself to God's natural, creational pattern for your life. So unless you're called to celibacy, see here's the thing, we got people saying, We we have those that are called to marry and those that are called to celibacy. But now we've created a third category, but it's not in the Bible. Those that feel attracted to other people but choose to be chaste because they're not really interested in members of the opposite sex. Well, you need to be sanctified into attraction to the opposite sex unless God has created you for a chaste lifestyle. But that
0: wouldn't be one where you burn with passion. Right, In what sense? In, in a sense of like sexual passion. If you're chaste, you mean. Yeah, exactly. If you're called to be celibate, that wouldn't be exactly. the person that's burning with sexual passion. Yeah, g- good good right? point. It's misdirected if it's homosexual.
1: It needs to be redirected. Yeah, so into- in this text, it doesn't even say, you know, if you're attracted to um, sexual immorality with one man, with multiple wim- women, then the solution to that is just to have one wife. This is a carte blanche term. It sounds almost... Too good to be true. But I would say, so if I was counseling or meeting with someone that said, I'm, you know, I'm attracted to homosexuals, we'd we work through the issues and make sure they've confessed their sin and deal with the the, the sexual mm-hmm. desire and make sure there's been a period of time where they've proven themselves to be holy. But I would say, look, man, if you if you are not called to celibacy and you desire sexual activity, then God's solution for you is to learn. To flourish in a heterosexual relationship, it might actually surprise unmarried people that sometimes heterosexual people have to learn to value heterosexual sex. Mm-hmm. There's there there are men and women that get married, and in the first year, two years, you know they they love having sex, and then after a while they just abandon it. Like there's a lot of I know I know there's there's Christian people husbands and wives that aren't having sex or are hardly ever having sex. Why Why is that? Well, unless it's a health issue, a lot of times it's because they haven't learned to express themselves and to engage in that aspect of God's design for their lives. So you can have people that have no homosexual desires that still struggle. They They want to be married, they want to have sex, but they still struggle to live out God's full plan for their lives as heterosexuals. well, it's the same for hom- homosexuals. If a person has repented of their homosexual um, lifestyle or their homosexual desires, they can learn to be a high functioning it sounds weird, a high functioning heterosexual and enjoy that relationship and be you know a blessing together because that is how God has designed us. Mm-hmm. I do
0: think it's interesting, our culture, again, this is one of the lies, that's your lot in life, there is a, a lie in culture that says if you are same-sex attracted, it would be a violation of your identity to marry heterosexually.
1: Yeah, that's that that's bunk, right. is what it is, that's bunk. Because when when God created Adam and Eve, he created them to come together in a complementary union and that is the natural order of things. The only exception to that, the only exception to that is the person that's called to the celibate lifestyle. But the person that ha- wants to have gay sex with someone else, it's questionable as whether they're called to a chaste lifestyle. They've just taken God's good gift of male to female sex, and it's been twisted and perverted. Well, once you've repented of that and overcome the lies and rooted those lies in your life it's driven you that direction— what you should be doing is actively pursuing a heterosexual monogamous relationship, mm-hmm. a relationship between one man and one woman uh, for life. Now, obviously, there's various dynamics to that. You want to get wise counsel in terms of the timing and in terms of how your future spouse would feel about that past behavior and all that sort of thing. But I'm just speaking in generalities here that God's God's very practical solution is that each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. Period. It's black and white. It's clear. One final thought, Chris, and that is in James 5 um, 16, this notion of staying accountable. So, like, what do I do? Well, stay accountable. It says there, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. And by the way, the reason why you confess your sins to one another is not because the other person's your priest and you know, can make intercession on your behalf before God. You can do that as your own as a born-again believer. But you confess your sins to one another. There's a there's a certain freedom involved in that, of course, but it's f- so that the person can pray for you that you may be healed. That's interesting, eh? That you may mm-hmm. be healed. Healed of what? Healed of the sin because sin is an, a sickness. Adultery is a sickness, a spiritual sickness, Covetousness is a spiritual sickness. Homosexuality is a spiritual sickness. And we pray that God would heal us of that. And it says the prayer of the righteous person has great power as it is working. It has great power because the object of that prayer is the Lord. So, as we talk about sort of the do's and don'ts of overcoming and understanding, we also want to acknowledge at the end of this podcast we need boatloads of grace. And fortunately, because God promises not to tempt us beyond what we can bear, we have access to that grace. Mm-hmm. Amen. So this is a a true biblical optimism, not some pie in the sky, pat myself in the back, I'm I'm Superman kind of optimism. I'll pull myself up my own my own bootstraps, and I'm just going to overcome with you know my own super spiritual powers. No, we choose obedience, but we also receive grace, and God will enable us through prayer. To, to overcome. And so we really do have grace to overcome sin in our lives, and that's good news for the adulterer, that's mm-hmm. good news for the liar, that's good news for the thief, and that's good news for the homosexual.
0: Well said. Well, thank you, Aaron, and thank you to each of our listeners today. Taking the time to listen and to think through this stuff and process it, you may need to hit the rewind bit button and listen to it again. Uh, please do make an effort to share this episode as well. Use social media, send it via email or text to a friend, let the uh, other people know about it to hear and encourage them to subscribe and rate it. Just a reminder you can hear this podcast on the Fight Laugh Feast app. You can download that app and it's uh, available on demand. You can get it as soon as it gets published. So We hope you'll tune in next week to another episode of Leadership Now with Dr. Aaron
1: Rock.